Welcome back, Bible study learners. This is our third episode or third session doing virtual Bible study on 1 John. If you have missed or just tuning in, all of the other episodes should be under Zone Logos. That's how you pronounce that. Z-O-N-L-O-G-O-S, which is the Greek for living word. And you can look that up wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we're going to be doing 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 18. I'm reading in the NIV translation, but please pick whatever translation you're most comfortable with and follow along and let me know your thoughts. Let's start with uh, verse 18 of chapter 2 in 1 John. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. We're going to stop right there. Um, many of the gospel writers, and uh, John is no exception, talk about the last hours. Here he's saying, again, this is the last hour. So some may say, we'll see, he, he, the world is still in existence. So what does he mean by that? Um, it wasn't the end. It's not the end yet. I guess I would say we certainly don't know when <laughs> the end of this uh, journey will be. But in terms of the grand scheme of all of life, Christ has come. And that is definitely the final, almost the final chapter in terms of the saga of humanity and God's love. So John's not wrong in saying that. Now, this term antichrist, a lot of people do not like this term or fear it is overused or seems scary or as an end times thing. But if we think about what that word means, antichrist, it really just means somebody that's against Christ or opposing Christ. And many have opposed Christ or been against him, right? Now, back then, some of the ways that people were against Christ, you said they've already come, are people who denied the humanity of Christ. There was actually people who said he was never human. He was always God only. Some denied the divinity of Christ, meaning he was a good man, but there was nothing of God really in him. And then others at that time were denying the uh, redemption and resurrection of Christ. So there was a lot of uh, against the story of Christ even back then. I guess I would ask you listening, who and what do our against Christ or opposing Christ people look like today? Because we might not call them antichrists, but there are definitely people against and opposing the message of Christianity and who Christ is, right? Let's hear what John has to say about this group of individuals. Verse 19, it says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. What in the world is John talking about here? It's kind of a wordy paragraph here. He is speaking culturally about uh, the Gnostics at the time. That was a group of people who started within the church and formed a lot of unique ideas and then ended up leaving the church to form their own version of Christianity, the Gnostic Christians. 
specifically what the Gnostics believed was that Jesus was human and only human, but he attained a sort of divinity through gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. That's where the word Gnostic comes from, which means knowledge and specifically a secret knowledge that he was able to figure out and learn, which made him divine. And the Gnostics believed if you found the secret knowledge, you yourself then could be divine. They did not believe in sin. They felt that there was ignorance, but there was no actual such thing as sin. They also placed value on aestheticism, especially in sexual and dietary practices. So they really wanted to live life well, aesthetically, again, no sin. And if you attained the secret knowledge, and only a few could get it, then you would be divine and live forever. So this group of people, again, they started within the church. And so as a part of a church or a church group, they began to have these new ideas and then wanted people to change or go their route. And so they ended up leaving and forming their own form of religion. So that's who John is specifically talking about. And as he says, if they had belonged to us, if they had believed the same tenets that John and the disciples and apostles were believing, they wouldn't have left and formed their own group. Now, today, does this happen? I'm sure it happens. Maybe you can think of some examples where this statement would be true, that people that you know of didn't actually belong to the group, otherwise they would have remained, but they quickly left, maybe to do their own thing. Let's move on to the next verse, 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. John is initially saying, but you have. So he's wanting to contrast what he just was talking about. And so he's talking to us and to the early church. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Let's just stop there. What in the world is an anointing from the Holy One? Well, think to where you've heard that word in the Old Testament, anointing. When people were anointed in the Old Testament, it was specifically priests and kings who were not just being chosen to do whatever calling they had, but specifically it was an acknowledging that the Holy Spirit was on them. And John's talking about the Holy Spirit. That's why he's saying that we have this anointing from the Holy One or the Holy Spirit. So that we what? Know the truth. The word know here in Greek is edo, E-I-D-O. And it means to understand something from seeing it or from experiencing it. And the thing that we are understanding through this seeing and experiencing is the truth, which is that word in Greek, aletheia, which is the opposite of an illusion. It's not just facts, it's not just having head knowledge, but it's reality. The Greeks absolutely use that term to mean like what reality is. So the question is, how do we know or understand something from seeing and experiencing it when we weren't there or we haven't seen and experienced it? How do we know reality? The key here is the Holy Spirit. We have the anointing from the Holy, Holy One. John goes on to reiterate this in verse 21. He says, 
I do not write to you because you do not know the tr truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Same words, no, edo in Greek. And then he talks about that there is no lie in the truth. In other words, we should be able to recognize the illusions or the false things from reality because the Holy Spirit has helped us to see and understand and experience the true reality. Verse 22, he's going to explain this more. Who is the liar, he says. It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. Here we can see that direct re reference to the Gnostics. Because remember I said one of their key beliefs was that Jesus was not Christ. Jesus was just a regular human guy, good teacher, who was able to figure out the secret knowledge that made him divine after he died. So um, he's just being very clear. Uh, the liar, the person that's deceiving the early church, was people who said that Jesus wasn't actually divine. He wasn't Christ. And again, that man is antichrist. He's against Christ. He's opposing Christ. He is denying the Father and the Son. Now, let's dig into that just a little bit. How is the denial that Jesus was the actual Christ also a denial of the Father God? Well, and this happens today too. Think about this. If Christ came to this earth and claimed to be the Son of God, and if I say that is not true, you are lying, you're just a man, what does that make Christ? A crazy person, right? A total lunatic if he was going around claiming to be the son of God. So how can you say, oh, well, he was just this good teacher or uh, somebody that was really uh, smart and kind and loving and we should model ourselves after that, after a crazy person? If that's what you believe that Jesus is not Christ, then you have to throw out his whole life, really. And that's what John is saying. That when you deny Jesus is Christ, you're denying the Father and the Son. So that happens today, doesn't it? We should be aware of that. If we deny Jesus is Christ, if we discount the Easter story, the resurrection, if we discount the divinity of Christ, then we can't pick and choose other parts and say that those were good. He makes this even more clear in verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So he's just reiterating what we just said. You can't have one without the other. <laughs> They're a complete package. The Father, God, and Christ, his Son. Let's move on to verse 24. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. Okay, so as John wraps this up, what is it that we have heard from the beginning? Well, John's been talking with that same phrase about the beginning, since the beginning in chapter 2. He was talking about both the old and new command, 
which is what? Loving your brother, which is being in the light and keeping God's commands. So that's the thing he's reminding them. This is the truth that they are supposed to dwell on. And specifically, although my Bible translation uses the term remains in you, some of you in a different translation may have dwell and or abide. Again, that term really means to take up residence as in uh, moving in somewhere. That's the dwelling and the abiding and, and really staying for a long time. So if we take what we've heard and we put that in ourselves, almost like let it move in, the really the truth and the reality of all that, then what happens? We remain, same word, dwell, abide, kind of move in with the Son and the Father. He concludes this thought with verse 25, and this is what he promised us, even eternal life. So John is letting us know that this isn't just for today. Although if I abide and, and dwell on his promises and what I've heard, I will be in Christ this very day, it's also for eternity, for forever. Again, this is a big deal for that early church, especially with the Gnostics, because that Gnostic group was trying to tell everybody that only a few people would learn the secrets that allowed them to kind of live forever after they died. It was a very, very few that could get that secret knowledge and be divine. So John is specifically trying to discount that idea and says that's for everyone. All of us, when we dwell on these truths. Let's move to verse 26. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Okay, so this is what we were just saying. It's those Gnostics kind of seducing them, wandering, misleading them away. So um, this is what's on John's mind right now. But we can try to think of our own current contemporary situation. Is there ways that we're being uh, led astray that we need to shore up our beliefs and our truths. Verse 27 says, As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. This is a great passage because when you first read it, um, I might say, well, why are we even doing this Bible study? I'm not, we don't need teachers. Why are there uh, ministers and preachers out there if we don't need teachers? Why is John even writing this letter to this group if there are no need for teachers? So let's think about what he's really saying. I've heard people pull this little verse out um, to try to explain why they don't need to uh, learn from anybody else but themselves. Now, it's true that he's talking that, about the Holy Spirit who is actually, uh, whose job it is to teach us things. But when we think of teaching, we, te we think about imparting a new idea, adding new knowledge, again, what the Gnostics would have said, that new thing that they're looking for. That's different than 
reminding us of what we already know, right? Isn't that what John's letter has even said? I'm writing you not something new, but something you already know. So one way to think about teaching or when we go to church or when we do a Bible study or we listen to a sermon or a podcast or read our Bible is that we are being reminded of truths that are already known deep within us in our in the seeds and core of who we are. So we're not adding to something novel but being re-reminded. And I think that the Holy Spirit uses people and tools to teach us from the Holy Spirit's perspective. And this is evident if you ever sit down with people and read uh, through a passage of scripture, you will be reminded that the Holy Spirit is working individually and meeting us where we are based on our personalities and what we need to hear from God at that moment. I mean, I've been in a part of groups of 20 people who have read a passage of scripture and spent time dwelling and abiding with that scripture and letting the Holy Spirit commune with them regarding that passage. And then as a group, when you ask what it was that was revealed to you and taught to you, it was different per person. And that is because it is the Holy Spirit that is teaching and anointing us and, and leading us to what we need to know. So it doesn't mean that we should shelter ourselves up and have no other insight from any other individual. However, then, what is John saying? That it is the Holy Spirit giving us these truths, so we should not be led astray just because someone sounds uh, like they have a great idea if it's against the reality and the truth. And that's what was happening again back then. People were being led astray by these novel new ideas. Let's go ahead and finish up chapter 2. Verse 28 says, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. I'm sure you won't be surprised that this is the exact same word that we've been talking about. Mine says continue in him, but it's that same word, the Greek word minio, which has been used above for dwelling, abiding, remaining, same word. So he's reminding us again to do this so that when he appears. Now this word in Greek is phanero or phaneru with a P-H-A-N-E-R-O-O, which means to make visible or make plain or graspable, apparent. And it can be literally or figuratively. What I like about this is, although some might say, oh, he's just talking about the second coming. When Christ appears, we will be ready for that. But since it's a lot broader, this term, I think we can apply it even to in our quiet time or times when we're spending time in the Word that we can recognize Christ and God within our midst. Read it like that. Continue in him so that when he appears today, when he is with me today, that I may be confident and unashamed before him. Those two words, confident, is the word parisia in Greek. And I love this word because it means freedom of speech, 
or bluntness. This isn't about um, coming in uh, cocky. It really means that I feel so assured that I can say what I want to say. There's a freedom to my words and thoughts with Christ because I've been abiding in his word and with him. And then that second part, um, and unashamed, I really like how the New American Standard Bible says it, not shrink away. I like that idea of feeling so comfortable with who we are that we don't turn away, we don't shrink away. We enjoy being and dwelling with him. And the final verse of this chapter, verse 29 says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Okay, this is that same word. If we know, Edo, E-I-D-O, he is righteous. And righteous means equitable or holy or just. So if we know that God is that, then if we do what is right, or some versions say practice what is right, then we know we're born of him. I really like when they say practice, meaning because it implies less perfectionism. I would rather be practicing being righteous than being expected to be perfectly righteous. So if I practice being righteous, if I try to do the right thing, to be equitable, then what does John say? Then we know we've been born of him. This word uh, is a word that implies being a descendant or an offspring. Another word that I like used is regenerate. I like that concept that when I act righteous and good, not righteous as in a judgmental way, but when I try my best at being loving and following God's commands, in some ways I'm regenerating Christ and God in this world today. That's at least the hope. And then the hope is that people know we belong to God, that we're born of him, because he was our prime example of that, right? Well, that's the end of chapter two. Next week, we'll start on chapter three. I sure love that the word of God always goes out and returns with blessing and encouragement and even at sometimes challenge. I hope that it has touched you today in some way. Would love to hear any comments about things that you viewed differently or anything you might have been re-reminded of because technically we don't need teachers, right? But uh, have a happy Easter weekend and we'll see you next week for chapter three.